If you would turn to Matthew 13, we're going to continue the, uh, a sermon through the parable of the four soils, and I believe that we're going to glean some insights as far as how we will be able to, by God's grace, cultivate the soil of the hearts of people around us, and most particularly, of course, our children. But yes, children, you are dismissed, and it feels like more than half the church is now leaving the, the room. Wow. All right, Matthew chapter 13. There was a young man, and he realized that that day was his six-year-old daughter's birthday. She loved Barbies. But he realized also as he's sitting at his work desk that he forgot to get her the Barbie, that he, he wanted to get her one. And so after work, he, he shoots over to the closest store and he asks the salesman because he doesn't know anything about Barbies. You know, he dismantled them when he was a kid. That's about all he knows about Barbies. And so he goes to the salesman and the salesman says, let me show you where they are. And he takes them over to the island. There are all these boxes of dolls in the section of Barbies. And he says, okay, now I don't know anything about Barbies. Kind of help me. I need to choose which one for my daughter. And so... <coughs> He takes him to the first one, and he says, this one right here, this is, this is Malibu Barbie. Not much to her. $29.95. Okay, that's, that's reasonable, he thinks. Uh, and he says, well, this is the next one, and this is Soccer Mom Barbie. And she comes with a little van, and she's $39.95. Now, this one right over here, this one is Business Barbie. Comes with a whole wardrobe of clothes, and she too is $39.95. And this one over here, this is homeschool mom Barbie. Now, there's a lot that comes with her, so she's $49.95, and that is on sale. And the guy points over to this big box, and he says, well, what's this one? And he says, oh, that one. That's Divorce Barbie. Divorce Barbie? Yeah, Divorce Barbie is $249.95. And he says, you got to be kidding me. Divorce Barbie for $249.95? Why does she cost so much? And he says, because she comes with Ken's car and Ken's boat and Ken's house. And yeah. Now, in our day, obviously, there is a lot of divorce that goes on. And no, this sermon is not about marriage or divorce. Actually, this sermon is about relationships. It's about love. And that's what I want us to get into today. Let me just give you an example. A young man finds a, a young woman very attractive, and he, it is for him love at first sight. He begins to uh, spend a little bit of time with her, uh, proposes to her almost immediately. Within a few months, they get married, and she has just, he is just smitten with her beauty. Within a few years, however, with the pressures of finances escalating, he realizes who she really is and who he really is, and they divorce. Let me give you another example. Young man begins to date another young lady and realizes, wow, this is the woman for me. And after dating for a year, he proposes to her. And within six months, they're married. But over the course of actually just a few years, this young man begins to get heavily involved with activities outside the home. He is, he's with the guys at the local bar Friday nights and Saturday nights, every Friday night and every Saturday night. He plays golf with his rich buddies on the weekends. He is a football guy, and all Sunday he is watching football. And, of course, during the week, all week at work, he ogles the ladies. These things, these people have stolen his heart. After a few years, the marriage is filled with duplicity and devoid of love. Now everything and everyone has stolen this young man's heart but his wife. Now again, this is not a sermon on divorce. This is a sermon not even on marriage. This is a sermon on relationship and specifically love. And let me get even more specifically on commitment. Now as we go through these four soils, I think we're going to see 
that at the very heart of the issue with each of them is this idea of commitment. Well, let me come back to that. Let me give a little bit of review for us. The last couple of weeks as we've looked at this parable, we discovered that when the seed was sown on the pathway, the, the soil of the pathway had not been cultivated, and consequently with the rains, the, the seed still remained on the top of the, the soil so that the birds of the air, which would be representative of Satan himself, would come and steal the seed from off this soil and and. Jesus said, it's like those who hear the word, but they immediately reject it. They're not interested in it. So when it would come to commitment, zero commitment, no desire at all to follow after Jesus Christ, the very heart of the gospel, the focus of the word of God. When it comes to the rocky soil, we see that there, there too, it, the roots could not grow. Consequently, when troubles come, he withers and dies, this plant. And for the thorny ground, we find that in the thorny ground, the things of the world crowd in and choke the plant out, and it remains unfruitful. But you see, it's on the good soil, that when the seed is planted on the good soil, it's tilled, the rocks, for the most part, have been removed, the weeds are maintained, they're, they're pulled, and consequently, the seed grows, sends roots down, it flourishes, and it produces 30, 60, 100 fold of fruit. But here's what we realized. We realized that it, was, it, it is a, a commonly accepted fact that every single one of us who were following Jesus, all of you sitting here this morning, at one time, your heart was not good soil. Maybe it was pathway soil. Maybe it was rocky soil or thorny soil. But regardless, God, by his grace, through people, through circumstances, through hearing truths, God began to cultivate your heart. Now, many of you have had opportunity for God to use you to help cultivate other people's hearts. God gave me an opportunity just the other day to do that. I sat down with a young man, uh, just wanted to get to know him, be a friend. And I, I, he had been to my house before, but I'd really not uh, gotten a chance to, to meet him. It was kind of a you know, party atmosphere, you know what I mean with that. A lot of people in my home. And I uh, really didn't have a chance to talk to him. So I sat down, began to talk with him and what he wanted to do and what I was doing, etc. And before I knew it, God had opened the door for me to start sharing some testimonies with him. And uh, in all honesty, maybe I went overboard and I was kind of feeling him out. It, it was just God doing miracle after miracle in my wife's and my life and my family and with the church and with our house and various things. And I said, you know, I'm just going to keep sharing testimonies with him and see if he gets up and walks away. And, and he did have to get up for a moment, but then he came back down, sat down, and we continued our conversation. And yes, it was a conversation, by the way. Uh, it, it wasn't one-sided. And so I, God allowed me to help cultivate some of this soil. Now, I don't know where this young man is at. I, I don't. Um, but my desire is another opportunity and maybe another opportunity and maybe another. And all the while, just praying, God, help me. Give me wisdom. Lead me by your spirit. I'm not the only one. There are many others. Allow these people to help cultivate this young man's, the soil of this young man's heart. And God, I'm proposing to you this morning, God is going to use you. And listen, most particularly in the soil, the hearts of your children. God is giving you the special, incredible privilege of being able to spend so much time with your children to cultivate their hearts. And so there is that responsibility, that privilege he places upon our shoulders. So you as a parent have a unique place to be able to do that for your children. And so we're going to be asking this question, well then, how do we cultivate the soil? And last week we looked at how we cultivate or can cultivate or be a part of the cultivation process, if you will, for the hard pathway type of soil. This week I want us to look at the rocky ground and the thorny ground. And what would they be characteristic of? And how could God use us to cultivate these soils so that by God's grace, they would become good soil when the, when the seed is sown on that good soil, produce much fruit? Now, before I do this, read through this passage again, I want us to be aware of something. 
It's very easy as we read through stories like this called parables that are earthly stories that communicate spiritual truths to immediately draw certain conclusions that the, the parable doesn't necessarily do for us. For example, when the seed is sown on the soils, that they, they germinate in the rocky ground, thorny ground, and the good soil. The seed germinates. Now, it would be a, it, it would be a misunderstanding on our part to say that that germination represents regeneration. That is, when a person truly becomes a Christian. Now, Jesus does this in some of his parables, and that the, the seed die, falling to the ground, dying, and then germinating does represent when a person becomes a Christian. But let's be careful. That's not what Jesus does in all of his parables, and I'm going to suggest to you it's not what he is getting at in this parable. Let me give you a, a clear example in which he doesn't do that. You remember the phrase that you should pray for the workers because the fields are white for harvest. Does that mean that they're regenerated? No. Actually, the harvesting of the grain, that represents regeneration. Now, let me just take you one step further. That very same analogy is used for something else in Jesus' parables and in the book of Revelation, and it represents the the end of the age uh, gathering of the saved and the unsaved for the day of judgment. So again, let's be careful that we don't read into parables like this too much. Because the focus here is not the germination of the seed. Actually, that's irrelevant in this parable. It's whether, listen to this, it's whether or not the seed when it germinates grows and produces fruit or not. That is what Jesus is concerned by. And we find that in the first three soils, there is no fruit. In the last soil, there is. And Jesus says elsewhere, a good tree will produce good fruit. This is how you can tell when someone's truly born again. They produce fruit. Now, I'm not saying or even suggesting that we're saved by our good works. Now, at last week, I mentioned very briefly, I said, you know what? Because it produces an orange tree does not make it because it produces oranges, rather, does not make it an orange tree. It just tells me that it's an orange tree. I can see, I walk up to it, there's oranges, it's an orange tree. But the oranges do not make it an orange tree. It's what was planted in the ground. Was it a lemon seed? Was it an orange seed? I see the oranges, therefore, I'm going to say an orange seed was planted. Now, so do you follow? And that seed would represent the gospel and our response of faith. And if we respond with true, genuine faith, and I'm going to suggest that the only place in which we see that here is in the good soil, it's going to produce fruit. So let me read the parable again to you, and then we're going to go over these things. Matthew 13, starting with verse 18. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. And again, as I did last week, I'm not going to read the whole parable and then Jesus' interpretation. I'm just going to read Jesus' interpretation. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The one who receives the seed that fell on rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since he has no root, he lasts only a short time. Now, we learned in the parable that he has no root because there's so many rocks. But since he has no root, it says, Jesus says, he lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. Verse 22. The one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. But the one who received the seed that fell on good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it. He produces a crop yielding 160, 
for 30 times what was sown. Father, I I ask you right now, by the power and the enlightenment of your spirit, give us insight into your scriptures. And Father, don't stop there, but show us God. Eagerly show us how we can walk out this parable and the truths that we're going to discover this morning in our lives. That, Father, we would be cultivators of this place, the people around us, that as the seed goes out and as it's scattered, it would fall on good soil. God, we need your help. Give us insight. Speak to our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I did say I was going to come back to this concept of commitment, of really true love. And now what I'm going to suggest to you is true faith. Commitment is at the very heart of true love. You cannot have true love without commitment. You cannot have true faith without commitment. As a matter of fact, if you've noticed this, there was a time in which a man approached Jesus and he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And the guy wanted to be a smart aleck and said, well, who's my neighbor? And so Jesus told him a parable about that. But Isn't it interesting? For me to inherit eternal life, Jesus' response is then love the Lord your God with all your heart. So wait a second, Jesus, didn't you mean believe in me? See, Jesus sees those as the same. If you're going to really love God with all your heart, soul, mind, see that the heart of love is commitment, and that is the very heart of faith. If you're going to be fully committed to God and fully committed then to the son that he sent, you will be saved. That is what Jesus was getting at. And once you're saved, you're going to produce fruit and you will end up loving your neighbor as yourself. So this, this, I'm I'm just letting you know this, that the commitment is at the heart of true love and it's at the heart of true faith. You see, when the seed is sown on the rocky soil, it accepts the seed initially with great joy. It's very emotional. But it doesn't sink its roots down in order to gain sustenance. So that when trials come, difficult times, it doesn't endure and it falls away. This is similar to our first example of the young man who's attracted to this young woman by her outward beauty. And he's all excited and it's love at first sight. And by the way, see, here's here's our issue. In our culture, Hollywood presents us movie after movie that teaches us you can fall in love with someone at first sight. I'm going to suggest to you that that is absolutely untrue. It's, it's not even a biblical concept. It's only a, 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 an embraced concept because people in America, they don't understand what love is. Love is something that grows because out of the heart of it is commitment. It's not infatuation. Unless, of course, like myself, In my first conversation with my wife-to-be, I was not only smitten by her beauty, but I realized that the joy of the Lord was so evident in her life. It at least caused me to think, I need to get to know this lady a a little bit more. So I had that opportunity a couple of times, and one particular conversation, I remember in my mind, I can even tell you the exit on the highway in which we were at, in which this thought comes to me, oh my goodness, I think I'm going to marry this girl. I have got to get to know her. Because I saw Jesus in her like I had not seen in other people. Now that wasn't love at first sight. Almost, but not really. And over the next year, I began to get to know her. I then proposed to her. And then a little over a year after that, we got married. But this love thing, Because the heart of it is commitment had to grow. So as a result, when troubles come for this young man, his love, if you will, was skin deep, literally. He wasn't in love with her. He was infatuated with her, married her. There was no deep commitment there. And so it ended in divorce. The seed that's sown, excuse me, sown on the thorny soil, it says that it accepts the word But the worries of this life, the deception of wealth, and we're going to come back to these things. And Mark even says the desires for other things. Luke has pleasures. 
These things choke the plant. It cannot receive sustenance from the soil. And the end conclusion is that it produces no fruit. Now, it doesn't say that it withers. It doesn't say that it dies. It just produces no fruit. May I suggest to you that such a person we call, in our vernacular, nominal Christians. They think they are saved, but they are not. Maybe it's because they go to church. Until I was 14, well, I was faithful to go to church, except when I played sick. I was faithful to go to church and went almost every single Sunday and then Wednesday night. And you know, for me, as, as a 12-year-old unregenerated young man, church was, seemed very irrelevant to me. There was no commitment on my part, though I did ask Jesus into my heart when I was 8, when I was 10, and when I was 12. But it was like the seed cast on the rocky ground or the thorny ground. There was no roots. I didn't get into the word because I didn't want to. It was, it was emotional. My sister and uh, brother-in-law were involved in the Jesus People movement in the 70s. I saw miracles with my very own eyes and thought, wow, that's really cool. Maybe I should follow Jesus. Because, you know, if, if I follow him, maybe those things will happen to me in my life. So the thorny ground is like this young man who f- begins to be attracted to this young woman. And a year or so, six, uh, year and a half later, he marries her. But he gets distracted and he is, his heart is easily captivated by the things and the pleasures of the world. And everything and everybody catches his attention and the desires of his heart, but his wife. And for that person, we, we call that person that, or that marriage a drifting marriage. And most of the times, these types of marriages, they just don't understand what love is. So I'm going to suggest, because at the heart of love is commitment. So I'm going to suggest to you that in these three prior soils, other than the good soil, the person who receives the word does not understand this idea of commitment. As we go through these, I think you'll see that. So let's begin then. Oh, let, let me just say this, that Jesus himself understood this concept of cultivating the soil. It's not something that I'm kind of just grasping at here and kind of throwing in the context of of this parable. Jesus in Luke 13, 8 to 9, he tells us a parable in which the master is saying to his servant, this vineyard is three years old. It is not producing any fruit. I want you to cut it down. We're done with this. There's no fruit. And the servant looks to him and he says, but master, let me do this. He says, leave it alone for one more year and I'll dig around it. (coughs) Excuse me. I'll I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. You see, Jesus understood this concept of the necessity for cultivation. Now, can I say this? You are going to find yourself walking away with some principles and ideas today. You will will seek to cultivate the soil of other people's hearts. But you will, in your endeavor to cultivate hearts, you may find many hearts still are like the pathway, the rocky ground, or the thorny ground. And they do not receive the, the word and produce fruit. In this very example in Luke 13, that vineyard was Israel. And within a generation, comparable to the one year, the servant said, give me one year and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. Within one year, basically, God said, no. Jesus predicted, prophesied this event. But in 70 AD, the Romans destroyed Jerusalem, completely upended the temple, and killed tens of thousands of Jews and brought tens of thousands more into slavery and scattered them. So I'm going to I'm, I'm say this to you. Do not be discouraged if in your cultivation process you're not seeing the fruit. 
But that must be our goal, church. It must be. It's not just to scatter the seed. We must impact people as we are scattering the seed, especially our children. So let's look at the rocky soil. We see here that initially it receives the word with joy. There's an excitement. It's emotional, but it's not deep. It, it, it doesn't truly grasp the, the concepts of the gospel. It doesn't grasp the concepts of discipleship, of commitment to Christ. Now, I'm moving away from the parable with how I'm speaking right now. I'm talking about the person who hears the, the gospel right now. I'm not talking about the seed. So we're out of the parable right now. We're interpreting it. How, what does it mean? <clears throat> These people, they hear the word. They're excited. They may run to the altar and give their, and give their heart to Jesus like I did when I was 8, 10, and 12. <clears throat> but <clears throat> I truly did not understand commitment. I didn't understand. I, I just, you know, I, I, I listened on TV. I heard televangelists say, you know, if you believe in Jesus, he is going to bless you. He's going to do this for you, and he's going to give you peace, and he's going to give you joy, and he's going to take care of your problems. And I thought, man, this is a win-win situation. I like this. I'm going through hard times, uh, feeling rejected at school, blah, 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 and I'll follow you. I'll, I'll pray this prayer. And so you, know, the televangelist, televangelist on the TV screen would say, just repeat after me. And I repeated his prayer in church. I did it word for word. But there was no change in me. There was no fruit in my life. But I was excited for that day or maybe a week. And then it was just the same old me again. And there were rocks. Yeah, there were rocks in my head. But there were rocks in my heart, rocks in the, in the ground that, that were needing to be removed. And I want to walk us through this. What might some of these rocks be because you're going to encounter people and there are rocks in their hearts in the soil of their life and God is going to use you to help them in removing those rocks now in the pathway soil we noticed the best way to cultivate that there was a lot of there's pride in people's heart there's hurts and they're they're resistant to God completely, and they don't even want to listen to the word. They're numb to it. You know, up in, you know, for much of my life, I was in and out of all of these different soils. I was a pathway at one point. I was rocky ground at another. I was a thorny ground, and then back to rocky ground, and then thorny ground, and, and the pathway. And, and that, that, I was all over the place. There were just issues in my life and obstinance and insecurities and hurts and pride and these things made me either resistant completely to the gospel or open to it but you know what following him like that i don't think so ephesians 4 26 and 27 says in your anger do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. The context there of that foothold is anger. And I, I'm going to suggest to you that anger, which can very easily unresolved become deep hurts and bitterness, these types of things can reside within a child's heart. You can grow up and throughout your life not know how to deal with the hurts in your heart and they will act like stony ground so that when you hear the gospel, maybe initially you reject it because you're wondering, can I even trust God? But the evangelist tells enough stories just like me and I heard on the TV, well, maybe I'll give him a try. Have you ever heard someone tell you as you're sharing the gospel with them, oh, you know what, I tried God and he didn't work for me. You know, it's, it's kind of like uh, you go in, you, you put on an outfit, you try on an outfit, eh, I don't like it, try something else. And of course, guys, we'll bring one or two pieces of clothing. You, you know a woman, <laughs> she's going into a fitting room because she brings like eight or ten outfits with her, and she's got to try them all on. And you, uh, you know what, she'll look in the mirror, but that's not going to be enough. She's got to go outside and say, well, what do you think? And she's got to get other people's opinions, and she's got to call someone, take a picture of me, send it to my mom. What does she think? You know, isn't this true? Okay, I'm not stretching truth here. And, but there's this idea that, you know, we, we've tried God like a garment, and eh, he, he didn't fit. It, it wasn't for me, not my cup of tea, you know? And, and I would have to say, and, and sometimes, uh, 
I do say this, and I say, could I suggest to you that you really didn't try him? You know, it's kind of like this. It's like someone saying that they are a swimmer, but every time they go to the pool, all they do is this, and they, they, they toe dip. They got their foot wet, and they think they're a swimmer because they got their foot wet, or maybe they, got, they, they, they sat down on the side of the pool and dangled their foot feet in the pool and kind of kick their legs. I, mean, I like that. That's kind of fun. But I'm not going to call myself a swimmer. You got to jump in the pool and got, you know what, preferably in the deep end so you can't stand up, you know. So you're, you swim by putting one arm in front of the other, kicking your feet. So don't call yourself a swimmer because you've toe dipped or because you put your legs in the pool. Come on. You're a swimmer because you've learned how to swim in the deep end. All right. That's what a swimmer is. And many people, they, they try God out, and they say, you know what? This God thing, it's just not working for me. You know, he doesn't answer my prayers the way I want him to. And it's as if we go to God at this conversion table, so to speak. He's on the other side, we're on this side. I said, okay, God, here, here's the way this is going to work. You're going to forgive me for all my sins. By the way, thank you. Um, and then I, I'm, I'm going to do some for you too, but here's the deal. It's going to be a 50-50 relationship here, and if at any point you don't do what I think you should do, I'm not sure I'm going to trust you, and this deal is off, and that's how the, the rocky ground operates. Excited to begin with, but you know what? I'm not sure I'm liking this deal here because I thought that you were going to promise me happiness and take care of all of my problems and deal with my husband and all of this stuff. And you're not doing that. So I'm not sure I really want this thing. And it is completely, let me just be honest here, it is completely me-centered. And there's a gospel out there that's very me-centered. It's not God-centered whatsoever. You go to God at the bargaining table, and you do a deal. As you, in order to pull these rocks out of this type of person's life, as a mom or a dad, what you need to explain to your child is that this is a full commitment to Jesus Christ. You see, he's the one on the throne, not, not me, nobody else. He's sitting on the throne. We do it God's way. There's no bargaining at the table here because that is not what full surrender means. So as we're, as we're helping our child or our neighbor who is struggling with just bitterness and anger and, you know what, I, you know, I've tried God or, you know, I used to go to church when I was a kid, but I don't anymore because I've grown up as if, you know, mature people, they really don't follow God. Because why? Because Jesus is a crutch, right? Isn't that what you hear? God is a crutch and I don't need crutches anymore. I don't need God anymore. I got this thing called life. I'm good. Well, no, you don't. Your marriage is on the brink of divorce. You don't know how to be a good employee. You're struggling, if you're in management, you're struggling to be a manager. Everybody complains about you. You're a hard-nosed person. You don't know how to love people. I could go on and on. And the things and the stuff in the world and your neighbor's hearts that you see, and maybe some that's in your own heart. And the truth is, God needs to get these things out of our life. And God can use you with your neighbor, especially your children, people at work. Share testimonies with them. That's one of the best ways. Sharing testimonies in which how God has dealt with you and sharing truth. With both of these soils, the rocky ground and the thorny ground, it is what you have experienced from the word and the word itself. Because what you're going to do, at least for this person, Okay, and I'm purposely wording it this way. For this person, you are helping authenticate the word of God. Now, the word of God is authentic, regardless of whether you can authenticate it or not. So don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But for this person, you are showing them the reality and the effectiveness of God's word. He is on the throne. He has creator rights over you. Because of your sin, 
you have no place at this table to do any deals with God. You see, the deal was already met and it was already done at the cross. God was on one side and there was no one else on the other. And as you come along, you now have this privilege not to do any deal with God, but to say, okay, God, this is all, this is all you. You tell me what do I need to do. And Jesus says this, I want your heart. As we look at this rocky ground, what we notice is that the heart has no roots. There's issues in this person's life. There's a lack of understanding of what commitment truly is. So that maybe initially there's some joy and yeah, let's rah, rah, let's do this. I'm excited. And you may even tell some friends. You may even get baptized. I remember one particular gentleman in this church, and most of you probably have never, don't know who he is, years ago. And through some unusual circumstances, uh, he came to Christ. He then the following week got baptized, invited his girlfriend. We never saw him again. He moved in with his girlfriend, and it's almost as if he wanted to be baptized to be assured, okay, I'm going to heaven. Now I can live in the world. He had done a bargain with God at the table is what really happened. And I remember trying to reach out to him, and he just, he ran. He ran as hard as he could. He never returned any of my phone calls. And I just thought, wow, the devil is so fast. There, there, were, there were no roots in this young man's life. He had gone through a lot of rejection. And he thought he could do a deal with God. But I, wanted, I, want, to, I, I want us, when, when we are sharing testimonies, that, for example, in this situation, that we could share testimonies about God's love. God is fully trustworthy. God loves us so much that he forgives us. Would you be willing to forgive others yourself? Because the bottom line is, Jesus said, if you don't forgive others, I will not forgive you. And Jesus is saying, let's remove some of these rocks. This particular gentleman I shared with you, Frank is his name, if you remember, he was in his 50s. I was in my 20s. I was just a young whippersnapper. I loved Jesus. Uh, I would always bring my Bible to work. And if I was reading it um, and people asked me, and so what is that you're reading? Great. Let me explain to you what I am reading. And I would share the gospel with them, share my testimony with them. And, and after 20 or 30 minutes, you know, hey, you asked. So I'm just, I'm just answering your question. Uh, they probably weren't looking for such an involved answer, but I gave it to them. I love to be able to talk about Jesus at, at Ray Lumber Company. Uh, I worked there for, I don't know what it was, maybe a year or something. And I met this guy, Frank. He'd been a pastor. You remember Frank. But he had allowed bitterness into his heart. And there were a lot of rocks in this guy's life. He was totally disconnected from God. He, was, he had become an alcoholic. He had just laid down the alcohol for the sake of his wife. Uh, but he was as distant from God as you could get. He was angry with God. And I many times got in that line of fire. So on his better days, that's when I, that's when I helped remove some of those rocks from his life. Uh, on his better days when he wasn't cranky, uh, because actually those were most days, but on some of the better days, I would share some testimonies as far as how God answered prayer. And, you know, hey, Frank, I just wanted you to know this past weekend, can I just share a story with you? And I would tell him about what God did in, in my marriage or how God answered a prayer, what God did in the business or God did this or that. And, and I would say, Frank, I just wanted to share with you, the Bible says, and I would just share a scripture verse with you. Short, hopefully pithy, and just kind of like planting in his life, cultivating, and letting the Holy Spirit kind of loosen some of these rocks so that he would say, well, you know what? Maybe I should get rid of this rock and this one over here and this one here. And God began doing stuff like this. And within less than a year, God had removed enough of these rocks in his life in which he made a decision that he was going to follow Jesus. When we come to 
Let me share this with you. For those people with rocky ground, again, I had mentioned there's a very little sense of commitment such that they don't truly follow after Jesus. They're not committed to following after him. When things get tough, they're gone. We call these, uh, in our vernacular, we call friends like this fair weather friends. Fair weather friends are with you in fair weather, but when it's hard weather, see ya. And we become fair weather friends of God when the seed is planted on the rocky ground. And I remember one particular instance with, with Frank. I wanted to explain to him that he had kind of done this deal with God at the table. And I wasn't convinced that he really understood what commitment was. Because he gave up very quickly, actually. Become a pastor, hard things hit, and he just ran. Now, granted, he had a really rough past, physically abused as a child. Anyway, and I began to share with him. You know, I I tried giving my heart to Christ when I was 8, 10, 12, and finally when I was 14. But let me tell you the difference about what happened when I was 14. I think I finally understood what it meant to surrender my heart to Jesus Christ. Because most people, when when you surrender, you know, all of this vernacular jargon they kind of think the life is going to be easy and I told him I said you know what Frank it's amazing when I was 14 and gave my heart to Christ I prayed this very bold audacious prayer God no matter what it takes make me more like your son Jesus and he actually took me up on that prayer I could hardly believe it within six months within six actually it was four months I broke cartilage in my knee and every dream and aspiration about one day being in the Olympics I'm a what guy you know doesn't have that dream somewhere you know being a professional football player or a baseball player you ask a six-year-old what do you want to do when you grow I want to be a professional baseball player okay Ask Micah what he wants to do when he grows up. Oh, I'm going to be a baseball player. Well, of course, you know. And, and so I, my aspirations were Olympics or bust, okay? Uh, my dad was a cross-country coach and a track coach, and I was going to run track, okay? I was going to break records and all of this kind of stuff. And God, had, when I gave my heart to Christ, he looked down and he said, man, Mike, I thank you that you're committed, but I, I need to remove some of these rocks in your life. And sports is a big one. And, and God didn't just tone things down. He removed sports from my life. And it devastated me. And I had to make a decision. Am I really committed to him or am I not? And I, just, I, I said, you know what, God? I made that commitment several months ago. And I'm sticking with that commitment. I am not giving up. And this is hard. And God, by the way, I hate this. But you're the one in control. And my mom shared Romans 8.28. God works all things together for those who love God. And are called according to his purpose, not our own. That, that's, I, I added that last part. Not our own. Because we want our own way and our own purpose. And we can throw temper tantrums like little spoiled kids when we don't get our way. Is that not true? And that's the way it is in the rocky soil. And I said, God, I don't want to be that way. But this is hard. Help me. And I remember just literally crying as every dream just flushed down the toilet. And I just said, okay, God. Man, you're taking me at my word. And I'm needing you to form Christ in me. And this is so hard. But I'm in this for the long haul. And I shared stories like this with Frank. Because the bottom line is, when you step into this relationship with Jesus, he doesn't say, okay, I'll have this over here and this over here. He says, give me it all. I want it all. When Jesus spoke to the rich young ruler, he said, sell everything you have and follow me. So as we move to the thorny soil, and I've got only a few minutes here, um, I think I'm going to expand on this concept next week. But when we come to the thorny soil, there are several things that we immediately find out. And that is three things in particular, the worries of this life, the deception of wealth, and as Mark says, the desire for other things. The worries of this life, worry is a negative emotion. And many people throughout their childhood, into their adulthood, and on their deathbed even, they have, they have never learned otherwise, but they are led by their negative emotions. Any emotion, they're led, they make decisions based on their emotions, and they may even consider themselves very intellectual. 
but they make emotional decisions. I'm going to suggest you to this. Every single atheist on planet Earth today has made an emotional decision. Because the facts very clearly say otherwise. Okay? If you don't believe me, look at debates. Just go online. YouTube debates about whether God exists or not. You will come away from every single debate wondering how on earth could that person be an atheist? And here is why. They're not an agnostic. I don't know for sure. They are an atheist because the atheism is an emotional response to God or their belief that there is no God. Now, we learn throughout our life to trust our emotions, to be led by our emotions. When we're angry, we deck the person. I did that all the time growing up. When our little brother or little sister did something we didn't like, okay, read between the lines. All right, let me, I'll give you five good reasons, like Lucy says, why you need to do what I said. One, two, three, four, five. And we're emotional, and these lead us, and it gets us into a lot of trouble, sends us to the principal's office, and you name it. But the truth is, we can make, we can make emotional decisions when it comes to shopping. Wow, that looks awesome. And he, here's what's really going on inside. I feel inadequate without that. My life will be complete when I have that dress or when I have that car or when I have th that new, I don't know, TV that's like 100 inches in diameter. I need it to make my life complete. And there's something inside of us that sells us and it, it wins our heart. Just like that young man, all the stuff in life captured his heart except his wife. You know what, here is a, a scary truth. Even as Christians, if we're not careful, we can allow the weeds in our own soil go untended and these things crop up in our life and they can steal our heart. They steal our affections. They steal our longings. And we can get caught up into habits of entertainment or with our phones or the internet or with a boyfriend or a girlfriend and we get caught up in this and before you know it we start doing some spiritual assessment and it's like whoa my desire for god is like rock bottom what is going on here let me tell you what's going on you've allowed these weeds in your life i'm not saying that a boyfriend or a girlfriend is a weed by the way okay uh, but it can become that if they steal your heart. A business idea can steal your heart. That's happened to me before. Things, stuff. Like if, I, I, I can't remember what's the story when the sirens are on the shore and is it Ulysses and he has to plug his ears and he's, he's strapped to the mast and he says you know don't listen to anything i say and uh, no that's right he, he doesn't plug up his ears he wants to hear what they say but he has he has himself tied to the mast otherwise they're going to go towards the shore and like all other sailors they're going to crash on the rocks and die and the things of the world are like these sirens these who are ladies singing i guess and the, and it, it attracts our heart and it steals our affections for christ away and before you know it in the scales of passion for Christ, the balance is tipped way over here. What passion? What love for Jesus? But this obviously is what happened in the rich young ruler's life. What must I do to gain eternal life, he asks. And Jesus goes on talking about the Ten Commandments. Oh, I've kept all of those. Well, Jesus purposely did not share one of them. And that was the last one about covetousness. And the rich young ruler, in kind of weighing his heart, oh, I've kept all of those commandments, you know, like, I'm good to go, Jesus. I'm, I'm your man. I'm, I'm going to follow you, and I'm, I'm going to be the best. And I'm sure Jesus could read his thoughts, and he's thinking, I feel so embarrassed for him right now. <laughs> really? So he just, he, he tells him one thing to, just one thing. And that one thing is going to sift his heart. It's going to tell this young man exactly where his heart is at. He says, then do this. 
sell everything you have and give it to the poor. Whoa. What? No rabbi has ever told him to do that. I don't even find that one in the Bible, Jesus. What do you mean? And what Jesus was trying to do, he's saying, there is a God in your life and I can't even compete with him. And that God is money. And it controls your every decision in life. And you're going to follow me? You're not even going to listen to me. You might be excited for a little while and then when the going gets tough and I'm saying, come on, follow me. How about if you walk on the water? You're going to say, are you kidding? I'm rowing back ashore. And the truth is that these things compete for the affections of the heart of the, of the sinner and they truly do not want God. And if you, if you find them in church, they are nominal Christians. They do not want to really truly follow Jesus. Because Jesus has never truly won their heart. Can I just say this? That when I met my wife, I, I thought she was gorgeous, yes. Over time, learning about her and building a friendship, she quickly became my best friend. I loved hanging out with her. I loved laughing with her because she laughed a lot, all right? And that really didn't happen much in my family, okay? My mom was an extreme introvert, and we just didn't laugh a lot. We, we laughed at one another a lot, us boys did, making fun of each other. We didn't laugh together, okay? And my wife, she loved to laugh, and we would just hang out with other friends, and we would laugh all the time, and, and I truly fell in love with her and I was totally committed to her and I remember one time I was really boneheaded just really boneheaded and there was an issue in my life and she says Mike I think we need to break up and I think God just needs to do something in your heart for this relationship to move on and I absolutely refused to let her break up with me <laughs> no have your ring back you can't do this and I said whatever God's got to do he's going to change me but we're not giving up I was absolutely committed we're engaged and this is going to happen this is going to work and if God has to do something in my life that is absolutely utterly painful I'm willing to let him do that but I'm in love with you girl and we're going to get married one day and that I was determined you think you're breaking up with <laughs> what I'm sorry, maybe that was a little cocky on my part, I will have to admit. But the truth is, I wasn't going to give up for a second. But there are so many people in filling the churches today who have no clue what that type of commitment is like. Yeah, you can see it in their marriage, but now I'm talking about it in their relationship with Jesus. There's no commitment. There's no passion to pursue him no matter what. We've done a deal at the table, and God, you're not coming through. Or we're going to allow all of these things out in the world to steal the affections of my heart away and love Jesus. I mean, I guess. If, my, if someone would come up to me too, do you love Meredith? What would you think if I were to say, I guess? What do you mean you guess? You're going to marry her and you guess you're in love with her? Come on. That's not commitment. That's not love. And yet people fill the church today in America. Yeah, I guess I love Jesus. Do you not realize what he did for you? This amazing, almighty, all-powerful, all-loving, holy God stepped down into skin and bones like mine, and he was willing to suffer. He was willing to endure persecution falsely. He was willing to lay everything down for you and then say oh by the way what i did on that cross washes away every one of your sins the guilt gone if you feel guilt afterwards after and you confess it to the lord and the guilt remains that's on you because you must be listening to the devil's lies because i've forgiven you it is totally covered in my blood. And when we begin, here's the way Peter puts it, talking about the various 
character qualities. It says, if you have these things in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of Jesus Christ. And if you are not growing, I'm paraphrasing with this next verse, if you are not growing in these, it's because you're short-sighted and you have forgotten that your past sins are forgiven. And I'm just going to challenge us today that when we are sharing with people and cultivating their ground, sow the seed, the true seed. You know what? And this is what I did with, with the person that I was evangelizing just two weeks ago. I left it this way. You need to count the cost because Jesus wants everything in your life. And if you want to have him forgive you and wash you of your sins, you just have to cry out to him to deliver you from your enslavement to sin. This is, this, is real, this is where the rubber meets the road. This is full tilt. I'm committed to Jesus Christ. You see, there's, there's nothing other than that. Perhaps, though, as we've been going through this, maybe God has been pointing out some of the rocks in your life. Even though you're a Christian, Maybe he's pointing out some of the rocks in your life or maybe some of the, the weeds that have been growing up in your life and stealing your heart away. And I'm going to suggest to you, don't allow the devil to do this anymore in your life. Run back to him. Let him fully captivate your heart. Let him right now pull up the rocks and pull out the weeds that are choking the very life out of you. You're going through a hard time. It's, God is totally okay with you sharing your feelings with him. If you're angry with him, let him know that. But when you're done, could I recommend that you say to him, but God, here is my heart, not my will, but yours be done. This is really hard, but I will follow you. See, that's commitment. And these things that are stealing your heart, maybe today you need to say, you know what? I, I'm done with, I'm done with this. I'm, I'm done with being pulled in so many different directions. I am following Jesus, period. Tell him that. This is a full-on commitment, God. There is no turning back here. I love that song. No turning back. No turning back. The cross before me, the world behind me. No turning back. I will pursue Jesus and only him. So can you stand with me, church? Has something been stealing your heart? Your affections, your passion? Is there any left in your life? Let's look to him right now and just unveil your heart to him. This is just you and God time right now. Father, we do want you to help us as we are cultivating the soils of the hearts of those around us, especially our children. We want to share truth with them, the real gospel. And we want to share how we have endeavored to live those truths out. So help us, God, as we are tilling the soil and as we are seeking to be used by you to remove some of these rocks and these weeds, these thorns. And I ask you, Lord, as we do this, that your spirit would truly move in hearts and awaken them, God, to you. But Father, if today, if this morning, we are that rocky ground today, we are that thorny ground today, I ask today that you would call us to commitment. Call us to that decisive moment right now 
in which we say, Jesus, I will follow you to the end of my days because this is not about me and what I'm going to get out of this life. This is all fully, completely about you, God. Win my heart again, Jesus, please. Win me. Show me, Lord, those things that are robbing me and turning my attention away from you and stealing my heart. And now empower me to forsake them. If it's a relationship, may that relationship be ended or completely change. But God, you're on the throne of my heart. You are my Lord. You are my Savior. And I am surrendered to you. God, help us. Empower us. Use us. Complete the very good purposes that you have for each of our lives. And I ask you, God, at the end of our days, that we will have endured to the end, that we will have run the race, that our affections would be stronger for you then than any time before, and they would only increase and never decrease, that our hearts would be fully captivated by your love, that we would be pursuing you even to the point of physically laying down our life for you. Our desire is to live for you, Jesus, and if necessary, die for you. But have your way. Have your way. God, we love you. Thank you for loving us. Even as we are. Win us. Win us. In Jesus' name.